Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Good morning, everybody. Good morning to you uh, watching from wherever you are via live stream. We're glad to have you uh, with us, joining with us this morning. Um, I'm going to, as uh, by now perhaps you're starting to understand, I like to begin with a question, a kind of a thought thing to kind of get us into where we're going today. And uh, I have a question again for you, and that question is, what are you hoping for? What are you hoping for today? Maybe you came here and you're hoping that the weather would stay the same as it was outside or that it was going to be cooler than yesterday or the humidity was going to go down or you were hoping perhaps that uh, uh, the plans you have for the rest of the day would work out or maybe you're hoping they wouldn't work out. I don't know. What are you hoping for? See, the issue here is that all of us, all of us, all of us here, all of us watching, all of us are by nature hopers. As long as we live, every morning when we get up and open our eyes, we hope for something. We hope about what might happen that day and the next. We long and wait for things that we desire. People who are in school, very often, hold out hope for the day they graduate. People who graduate often hope about getting a a good job. People who are single sometimes hope to get married. People who get married sometimes hope to have kids. People who have kids then hope that someday they'll get out of the house. (laughs) A mother was taking her four-year-old daughter to school. She was a doctor and she had left her stethoscope on the car seat beside the girl. Her little girl picked it up and very excitedly began to play with it. Excellent, thought the doctor. I've always hoped my daughter would want to follow in my footsteps. And then the child spoke into the instrument. Hello, and welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order, please? (laughs) All parents have high hopes for their children because we are, by nature, hopers. We all are. Hope is why people buy treadmills. Hope is why people pay for makeovers and and read self-help books and, and go to counselors and, frankly, go on blind dates. It's why little kids go crazy on Christmas morning. Perhaps it's why you're here today. We all, you see, have hopes. And we're going to talk together then about the single most important word for getting ready for our future. The single most important attitude that we can have. It's an attitude that even when you do it poorly, it doubles the chances of joy in the future. It's an attitude that is entirely different than many of the attitudes we have when we come to the future. There are some people who have an attitude of apprehension when they look ahead. I know other people who have an attitude of excitement, wondering what's coming. Some people have an attitude of apathy, I don't really care. Some have an attitude of real fear when they face the future, I just want to close my eyes. But the attitude above any other that can change anything we face in the future is the attitude called hope. The Apostle Paul talked about what have become known as the three Christian virtues. Faith and love in 1 Corinthians 13. But smack right dab in the middle of those two is hope. It's that central to the Christian life. He's put it right in the middle. 
This is the hope that will not disappoint, he says. It's summarized by another hoper named David as his ultimate hope. And I've had the chance to speak to you at various times this year about faith and about love. And so today we're going to round it off by looking at hope. And just like last week when we dissected doubt a little bit, I'd like to start by looking at what hope is not. In everyday conversation, you see, we use the word hope all over the place in various ways that aren't really consistent to what the Bible refers to when it's talking about hope, real hope. For instance, sometimes we talk about hope and what we really mean is wishful thinking. Wishful thinking is when we try to hope things in or out of existence. We blow out the candles on our birthday cake, for instance, to say, I hope I have another year of health and happiness coming. Or, whoa, I hope no one's really counting all these candles. Or we hope, as we pick up the globe and mail, and we say, I hope my stock has gone up again. Or we look outside and we say, I hope the mosquitoes all mysteriously left last night. Wishful thinking is that kind of hopeful feeling that somehow, someway, things are going to go the way we want them to go, even though we have absolutely no power, no control over the situation. We don't have any power to make that happen. Sometimes when we engage in wishful thinking, we can do so to such a degree <laughs> that we can actually convince ourselves of something even when something isn't true. That's the power of wishful thinking. Another kind of hopeful attitude is a kind of blind optimism. I think it's great to be an optimistic person. I consider myself to be an optimistic person. But some optimists take this just way too far and they see everything through rose-colored glasses. And I mean everything. They paper over their problems as if they didn't exist. They avert their eyes from the ugliness of the world. To them, everything is just fine all the time. In fact, some religions take this approach very seriously. I grew up in a cult called Christian Science. Christian scientists, for instance, say that an all evil ultimately is just an illusion. It's not real. We're just imagining it. Sort of like the sign on the board at the grocery store. Lost, Do dog with three legs, blind in left eye, missing right ear, tail broken, and recently fixed. Answers to the name, lucky. You can call that dog lucky all you want. That is not a lucky dog, right? Sometimes people in their blind optimism will pretend things are great when they're not. That's not biblical hope. Then there are ambitious dreams. These are the lofty goals we set, tend to set for ourselves to achieve. We say, this time next year, I'm hoping that I'm driving a new vehicle. And not only do we set this goal, but we start preparing for it. We start saving money. We start looking at the ads looking forward to actually buying that new car. Or we say, next time, this year, I'm really hoping to improve my, my golf game or whatever it is. And we don't just say it, we get out there and we practice for it. And we really try to improve. Or we say, next year, I hope my marriage is better than it is right now. And instead of just saying it, we invest time to really build our relationship with our spouse. All of that is fine. It's wonderful to set ambitious goals and then to work towards achieving them. But the problem is, often we're restricted not only by our own limitations, but by things that are outside of our control once again. I remember Snoopy in a Phoenix comic strip thinking to himself, 
Yesterday, I was a dog. Today, I'm a dog. Tomorrow, I'll probably still be a dog. Oh, there's so little hope for advancement. There's a fellow by the name of Major Harold Kushner who was a POW in Vietnam, and he talks about the devastating effect of hopelessness on human beings. He describes one 24-year-old American Marine who was one of those POWs in Vietnam with him. This Marine decided to cooperate with the enemy, with the Viet Cong, who had captured him. He said, if you promise to let me go, I'll do whatever I can to cooperate with you. And they said, hey, that's a great idea. It's a deal. So he did everything to cooperate. He was a model prisoner. He was even leader of the camp's thought reform group. But after a while, it became very clear to him that they were leading him on. They were lying to him. They weren't going to let him go. And when that realization took hold, this is how Major Kushner described what happened to that that man. He became a zombie, and I quote, he became a zombie, he refused to do any work, and he rejected all offers of food and encouragement. He simply lay on his cot, sucking his thumb. In a matter of weeks, he was dead. I would guess if there was one word that we could use to describe what happened to that young Marine, it would be the word hopelessness. In fact, doctors in World War II and from then on in all the various skirmishes around the world, Korea, Vietnam, and and the Middle East and so on, have said some prisoners died from a condition of what they have, this is a technical term that they've come up with, they say it's called give up-itis. Give up-itis. And what they meant by that is that prisoners face grim conditions with no prospect of freedom, and some of them become demoralized, they become mired in despair, after a while they even become apathetic, and they refuse food, they refuse drink, and they just spend all their time in their bunks staring into space. With their hope drained away, these prisoners eventually just wasted away, and they died. They died of give up-itis. And I was talking with someone after the service yesterday and they were reminding me of so many who in all of these conflicts, particularly on the water, when their boat is lost, they're in lifeboats. And there's a number of survival stories of people set off in lifeboats and how some people survive and some don't. And the distinguishing factor almost always in those cases, when there is finally a rescue, is those who hope were rescued, those who gave up were gone. The human spirit needs hope, you see, to survive and to thrive. One expert said, since my early years as a physician, I learned that taking away hope is for most people like pronouncing a death sentence. Their already hard-pressed will to live becomes paralyzed and they give up and die. King Solomon recognized this and he recognized also that the opposite was also true more than 2,500 years ago, and inspired God by writing this in Proverbs. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Here's an example. The school system in a large city had a program to help children keep up with their schoolwork during stays in the city's hospitals. One day a teacher who was assigned to that hospital program received a routine call asking her to visit a particular child in the hospital. 
She took the child's name and room number and talked briefly with the child's regular school class teacher. We're studying nouns and adverbs in his class now, the teacher said, and I'd be grateful if you could help him understand them so he doesn't fall too far behind. The hospital program teacher went to see the boy that afternoon. No one at the school knew, not even her, no one had mentioned to her that the boy had been badly, severely badly burned in an accident, was in great pain, and was likely to die. Upset at the sight of the boy, as you can imagine, she stammered as she walked in and she said, I've been sent by your school to help you with nouns and adverbs. She struggled through it. When she left, she felt she hadn't accomplished much because of his condition and, frankly, his inability to even be able to respond. But the next day, a nurse asked her when she walked in, what did you do to that boy? The teacher felt she must have done something wrong and began to apologize. No, no, said the nurse. You don't know what I mean. We've been worried about that little boy, but ever since you were here yesterday, his whole attitude has changed. He's fighting back. He's responding to treatment. It's as though he's decided to live. Two weeks later, the boy is better, able to speak, and he explains that he had completely given up hope until the teacher arrived in his room. Everything changed when he came to the simple realization And he expressed it this way, and I quote, they wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with a dying boy, would they? See, the Bible says that faith and love spring from hope. In other words, hope is the foundation of this deal. It's hope that enables you to persevere, to be faithful and be loving, even when it's difficult. So let's talk about hope. I want to look today at why hope is so important and why we ask Things like, where are you putting your hope? And are you clinging to that hope? Why is this so important? Well, simply put, it's because, again, all human beings are hopers. We're all hopers. We all have a place in our hearts where we store our deepest longings and our fondest desires. All human beings are irredeemable hopers. It's the way God made us. We just hope. And sometimes hope is needed because sometimes it seems like there isn't any. Many of us have encountered at least a a sense of some hopelessness over the last four months as we've experienced the worldwide pandemic. There's just been so many impacted in so many ways by this. Many, of course, by health issues. Not to mention all the people who've been losing their jobs through it. Good people. All these people with lofty goals, plans. They wanted to live long and prosper. They wanted to retire with a nest egg. They wanted to climb the corporate ladder of achievement. But they've had their dreams dashed. Life isn't turning out like they expected. And many have felt like they can't take it anymore. It's just too much. And a lot of that is because those things are beyond our control. It wasn't because their dreams were bad, but sometimes our own limitations, our circumstances, or other people even, can affect our dreams in such a way that we end up being disappointed or even worse. Now, let me contrast wishful thinking, blind optimism, and ambitious dreams with real biblical hope. For most people, hoping is something that they do. Please hear me on this. If you go home thinking about nothing else, think about this. For most people, hoping is something they do. But the Bible talks about hope as something we can have, 
Do you see the difference? Hope is something we can have. Hope is something you can possess. Some, hope is something you can hold on to. Hope is something you can own. You can grab a hold of hope and be hopeful. Here's the definition of hope. Hope is the confident expectation that God is willing and able to fulfill the promises that he has made to you. The Bible refers to this as living hope because it always is directly linked to the resurrection of Jesus. Peter wrote, in God's great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. We're desperately in need of hope. We're living longer. We have more. Never in human history have so many had so much for so long and been so depressed about it. We need hope. We need the kind of hope that God gives that changes everything. So what happens if I have hope in the Lord? How does it change us if we hope? Hope in the Lord, you see, gives us the power to renew. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. We can be renewed again if we have hope. Hope and renewal go together. A car can be as shiny as you want on the outside. Without fuel, it's never going anywhere. Hope is the fuel for the journey from what we know to the unknown. To renew your hope, you must believe it's possible to grow in hopefulness. Do you believe that today? Do you think hope is something you either have, you know, uh, uh, do or something you have? If it's something you have, then you can grow in it. You must believe it's possible to grow in hopefulness. You must believe you can become a more hopeful person. It really is possible. Listen to what Paul says in his letters to the church at Thessalonica. Paul says, but since we belong to the day. I just love the beginning of that phrase. Since we belong to the day. See now, we used to belong to the night. We used to live in darkness. But now, oh now, we belong to the day. We belong to the kingdom of the day. We've gone from darkness to light. We're out of the darkness now. And he just kind of covers it in this little phrase. Since we belong to the day now. Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. There again, we see these three virtues, right? Faith, love, and hope. He talks about the importance of hope, that it's possible to put it on. It's, it, it's learned. It can be held onto. It can be grabbed. You can become a hopeful person. You can make it part of your daily equipment. The metaphor that he chooses for hope is very interesting. He says, let's, let's put on the helmet of hope. Now, a helmet is a crucial piece of equipment. How many of you out there work in, in construction and have to wear a hard hat of some kind? You wanna raise your hands, just kinda let me see. Okay, um, all right, well, I guess if you didn't put the helmet on, you can't remember, right? So, uh, all right, well, just kinda move on from that one. All right. Um, Hope is critical. Hope is critical, right? And this helmet is critical for your protection. 
For soldier is, soldiers in Paul's days, originally, originally, and for most of them, or ordinarily, they had leather helmets. If you were royalty, you got the bronze. Everybody else got the leather. And they had a long flap at the back to protect their neck, very vulnerable spot with swords. No soldier would think ever of going into battle without a helmet. It just wasn't even done. I mean, you just didn't do it. You never went into battle without a helmet because you'd be a sitting duck for the enemy. Hope is what enables you, as your helmet, to endure the battle that you face. Hope is like a helmet for a believer, for a follower of Christ. Paul says, you can put it on. You can become a hopeful person. You can pick it up and put it on. We must believe it's possible to grow in hope. We must learn, therefore, a new way of thinking that's founded in hope, because here again, as I've often told you, there's a choice. There's a way of thinking that produces hope, and there's a way of thinking that kills it. I want to make a few uh, adjustments to that, a few minutes to unpack it. There's been a lot of research done on this. A lot of it has been done by a fellow by the name of Martin Suligman and some associates of his over the last 30 years or so. I'm going to take a few moments to kind of explain some of that and then tie it back in to what Paul is saying here. There is an experiment that was done about 50 years ago that Martin has uh, it worked on and, and stretched out and used in other ways. But I want to take you back to the original one done about 50 years ago that indicates that it's possible to learn to be hopeful or conversely learn to be hopeless. They put dogs in a cage. Remember now, this is 50 years ago. They put dogs in a cage and the dogs received shocks, little electric shocks. One set of dogs was in a cage with a little button. And if they pushed that button, the shocks would stop. They learned they could stop the pain and, and hit the button and the shock stopped. The others were in another kind of cage and there was nothing they could do. There was no buttons for them to push. Their shocks went on at random intervals and eventually those dogs just laid down. They stopped trying to jump around. They stopped doing anything at all. They just laid down. Now, in the second phase of this experiment, they put all of those same dogs into another kind of cage. In this new kind of cage, there was a, a small barrier that separated two compartments, one floor, a barrier, short barrier, and then another floor inside the cage. And so they decided they wanted to see what these dogs had learned or not learned, right? So here's the fascinating thing. All the dogs had to do, of course, was to jump over that barrier and they'd be on the floor that didn't have any shocks. The shocks would stop. So fascinating. The dogs that before had learned to push the button and stop the shocks, when the shocks went off and there wasn't a button around, they started jumping around, and pretty soon all of them had jumped over the barrier and were now on the other side where there were no shocks. They learned very quickly that they could stop the shocks by jumping over the barrier. The other dogs, the ones that had learned that there was nothing they could do before, even though they were now in a situation where there was something they could do, all they had to do was jump over this little barrier. Not one of them even tried. They just lay down. Even though relief was just one little hop away, they didn't move. It's like they'd come to believe that what they did made no difference. It's as if they said, why should I even move? My work would be in vain. This came to be called learned helplessness. They learned that they were helpless, and so they just stayed there. 
Now, for some of you, that may be a concern about this causing pain to animals. Let me just explain for a moment. The only reason they did this with dogs is that cats were not bright enough. Oh, another text from Stefan coming my way. Here's the deal. Underneath the quitting, underneath the failure to endure, was a loss of hope. They'd learned helplessness. Remember, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope can be learned. Hope can be renewed. Hope in the Lord gives us the power to also persevere. You have strength to go on. Hope is what gives us the strength to go on after a loss, a disappointment, a a dream that refuses to come alive one more time. Hopeful people hold fast to hope, even when things don't go as planned. Hopeful people accept the fact that failure is utterly indispensable in the learning process. A ceramics teacher divided her class into two groups. One half was graded solely by the quantity of their work, you know, uh, 50 pounds, if they made 50 pounds of pots, clay pots, they would get an A. If they made 40 pounds of pots, they would get a B, and so on. The other half of the class was going to be graded on the quality of their work. They only had to make one pot each, but it had to be a really, really good one. And when the grading time rolled around, a strange thing happened. All the quality pots were made by the quantity group, even though that wasn't their aim. Apparently, the quantity group just kept churning out work, right? And in the beginning, they made really bad cracked pots. But every time they learned from their mistakes, and every time their work got just a little bit better, until in the end, it was really quite good. The quality group, on the other hand, was so paralyzed by the fear of failure, they only could make one pot, that they sat around theorizing about how to make the perfect pot. And in the end, they had nothing to show for it, but some theories about how to make the perfect pot and some really, really, really bad pots. In the end, it was only people who were willing to experience and even, frankly, embrace failure because they had a hope that they were going to get better, that they had a hope that they could do more. There was still more to be done. There's a hope. Just get at it and keep going and and improve. They were able to learn from their failure and eventually were able to get above it. Another way of talking about hope, then, is disciplined waiting in eager perseverance. That's what Christian hope is, disciplined waiting in eager perseverance. It's disciplined waiting in eager perseverance of a certain fulfillment that will come one day. Hope is always the basis for perseverance. Why do I persevere? What's the point in going on if there's no hope? But I persevere because I have hope. Paul says, I'm grateful for your faithfulness and your love, and they spring out of your hope. Hope is the foundation. It's hopeful people who will persevere in faith and love. Are you a hopeful person? Do you persevere? I like this verse about hope in the book of Peter, 1 Peter. So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. There is something wonderful yet ahead. Have hope. Hope in the Lord also gives us the power to rest. 
This one's a little more kind of, you have to think about this a bit because it doesn't seem to just kind of run off at you, but this is what we're told in Psalms. I find rest in God, only he gives me hope. There's a tie between our rest and our hope. Hope is what gives us, frankly, the ability to slow down in this busy life and smell the roses. Life, as it often does, gets out of balance because we have too many things that are too important, at least to us. Without hope, we're always in a hurry. We don't know where we're going, but we're sure trying to get there fast, right? It's an old, ironic habit of human beings to always run faster when we've lost our way. If you've ever been lost, you kind of know that you start to speed up. The panic starts to set in. Everything starts to race. Your heart starts to race. Your feet start to race. Everything starts to go. And the reason is because you don't have hope that this is all going to work out. And when you have hope, you can take it easy a little easier. You can rest. Hope shows you the way. Hope and rest go together. Without hope, you'll find that you're restless, right? You become restless without hope. But with hope, you can realize you don't have to rush through life like every, every second is the be-all and end-all, the achievement is it. With hope, you can actually realize that life is headed to an ultimate conclusion that is better than what is now. Hope in the Lord gives us the power also to stay pure and say no to the temptations of life. Everyone has this hope in Christ, who has this hope in Christ Jesus keeps himself pure just as Christ is pure. Hope is the foundation of integrity. Here again, if I've got no hope for the future, if, if today is all there is, if it's just eat, drink, and be merry, and tomorrow I die, then what's the point of integrity? There's nothing out there for me. Truthfully, there's no logical reason to have any integrity whatsoever. It doesn't matter. Except hope tells you it does. Hope is the foundation for genuine integrity. Hope in the Lord also gives us the power to see beyond today. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. A hope. I like the story of Florence Chadwick. This goes back a number of years. She was the first woman, woman to swim the English Channel both ways. On July 4th, 1951, she was going to swim another back and forth kind of thing from Catalina Island, just off the California coastline, to this coast and then back again. She didn't quite make it. It wasn't the cold waters. It wasn't even the sharks. It wasn't even the fact that she was in the water for 16 hours it was the fact that fog rolled in and she couldn't see the coastline. She quit with only a half a mile to go. When she got out of the water, she said, I'm not trying to make any excuses, but I feel like if the fog hadn't been there, I could have seen the land ahead and I would have had hope and I would have made it. Later, she tried again. Would you believe the fog rolled in almost at exactly the same time and she couldn't see the shore? Yet she completed it this time. In fact, she did it in two hours less time than anybody else had ever done it. See, a lot of us are like that. The fog rolls in, right? I don't know what's going on here. What is this? This feels unsettled. It's, it's confusing. The fog is rolling in over my life. But just like the coastline was immovable to Florence, God's promises are immovable to us. They're always there. They haven't gone anywhere. Just because you're in a fog doesn't mean they've moved. God is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. They're going to be there. 
You may not be able to see them like you'd want to, but it's hope, isn't it? It's hope that gives you the knowledge that they're still there and you just need to press on. Hope is out there in the future. That's what hope does in our lives. It lets us see beyond today. But you don't have to wait. This is the good news. You don't have to wait to get to heaven to enjoy the hope God wants to give you. We can enjoy having a living hope today. Back to that verse. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. In the New Testament, interestingly enough, the word hope occurs only once. Only once in all of the Gospels. It only occurs once before the resurrection of Jesus, and that occurs in the book of Matthew. One time. But after, after Jesus' resurrection, hope appears 70 different times. 70 different times. It doesn't take a genius to figure out where our hope comes from, does it? It comes from the resurrection. That's the power of hope in our lives. The resurrection started with a cross. See, hope often begins in the darkest places of our lives. Look at the symbol of our faith, the cross. It was an instrument of execution in that day, and I spent some time last week talking about how horrible it was. It'd be as if you came in here this morning and up on the stage with me here would be a whole bunch of electric chairs all lit, uh, across the stage. Now, wouldn't that be strange? It would. Yet it's a perfect illustration of our faith, the cross. It was a dark place, and yet God turned it into a resurrection. If you want an illustration of how God sends problems in the world to bring good into the world, you don't need to look any further than the cross and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. He took that evil that was done on the cross and turned it into a resurrection that brings us light. Waymaker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. There's the illustration, the fact that he can bring hope. The cross tells us that he not only understands our pain, but he can transform our pain as well. Remember the story from Little League, where the man walks up to a boy sitting on the bench, talks through the chain link fence. He's sitting on the bench playing the game. The game's already started. He leans forward to the little boy through the fence and says, how's it going? The little boy looks up back at him and says, well, we're behind 18 to nothing, but we haven't been up to bat yet. In many ways, we all haven't been up to bat yet. Some of you feel behind 18 to nothing right now, but in many ways, we haven't been up to bat yet. There is a hope out there in a future that's indescribable. It's a place called heaven. It's a perfect hope. It's a perfect place with a perfect God who makes things perfect for all eternity. Even in this life, sometimes when the fog rolls in and when you feel behind and you feel like there's no hope, it's not true, is it? Hope can begin right now, right where you sit, right with you, wherever you are right now. Hope can, can become part of who you are. You can lay hold of hope this morning. Hope can begin right now because of what God has for us in the future. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. This I call to mind. Ah, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. We don't have to wait for hope to begin. Hope enables us to find a new purpose for the future. It's hope that enables us 
to recognize that the love of the Lord never ceases, that his mercies never come to an end, that they're new every morning. What great hope there is in that. It's hope that enables someone who has been victimized in a terrible way to not only find healing in their life, and trust me, I know this from personal experience, but not only find healing in their life, but have the ability to help someone else who's been victimized. It's hope that enables someone who is not just sure about what's gonna happen in the future, not sure where things are headed, to put yet one foot in front of the other and keep going on, knowing that God has a future for them even though they don't know what it is. It's hope that enables someone to take a dream that has been shattered and watch God begin to put pieces back together again in their life one more time. It's hope that enables us to look forward to the future even when we're sitting down across the desk from the doctors and they're looking us in the eye and they're saying, it's not going to get any better. We know that one day, we know that one day there's a better day coming. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. There's a promise to hang on to. That puts everything into perspective, doesn't it? God can give you hope of heaven. He can give you hope when every day it just seems hopeless, right? And he can be a constant source of encouragement and strength and wisdom and guidance amidst the daily adventure. But now, you know what? You must decide. Where, or rather, in whom have you placed your hope? Where is your hope this morning? Through his resurrection, Jesus Christ demonstrated once and for all beyond any shadow of a doubt that he is God and that he really does possess the power to fulfill the promises that he's made to us. Promises that he'll change our lives. Promises that he'll guide us. Promises that he will walk side by side with us. God with us through the turbulence of life. Promises that he can use good to emerge from the personal promises. He can cause good to come from the problems we face. Promises that he will grant us eternal life in heaven with him. Paul says that the hope that is ours is Christ in you. This is the secret, he says. Christ lives in you. That's the hope of glory. Christ in us. Therefore, with certain hope, we can look forward to sharing in God's glory. We have this hope, you see, as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Hope in and of itself, people, it has no power. Our hope is only as good as what we place it in. What our hope is attached to. To what is your hope anchored to? I'll tell you where it is. It's in Christ living in us. That's the hope of glory. Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email prayer at myselfland.com. Once again, our phone number is 204-326-9020 and the email address is prayer at myselfland.com.